Good morning, church. So good to see you guys. Thank you, Pat, for coming and sharing with us. Pat felt a little bit better this service than he did last service. He didn't cry this time. I have to say that because I'm the biggest crier up here. And it's good to see somebody else kind of cry besides me. But most of you guys who may not know um, Pat, he is, he's been teaching the kids back there for quite a while. He's one of our, our teachers back there. And, you know, he was nervous in front of you guys, even this service, because, again, man, he'd rather speak to kids than people like you. You, get, you guys are scary sometimes, man. You guys are just like, what? You know? And so, so again, man, Pat did an excellent job, man. I'm so proud of him, man. He was scared to death. Amen, man. Amen. Well, this morning we continue to go full steam ahead in the book of Acts. This morning we will be starting a new chapter in the book of Acts, but we're going to continue in the same narrative, that is the same uh, storyline as the last chapter. So if you will, turn to Acts chapter 4 this morning, and we will be covering the first 12 verses. Now just a reminder of where we are at right now, as far as the scene if you've been with us, you know what this, how the scene has been playing out. If you're not, if you haven't, then let me just kind of set the, the stage for you. This whole scene is taking place in the temple area. Not inside the temple, which would be outside the temple. Um, the surrounding area. We know from what we studied a few weeks ago that it's at least uh, 3 o'clock. It's after the last prayer of the day. There was prayers that went on in the Jewish culture, and that was at 9 a.m., at 12 noon, and at 3 p.m., and it tells us in the scriptures that it was a third, or it, it was three in the afternoon already, and so this, this is, that's when this is taking place. We know that Peter and John were kind of going to go do what they were normally apt to do, and that is go to prayer, whether they went at the 9 o'clock, the 12 o'clock, but we know for sure that they were going at the 3 o'clock. And they were going to go do probably what they've done many, many other times since they've been in Jerusalem, and that is go to prayer. They were going to go do something that they were used to going to do. But all of a sudden, God had, had, another, God had another plan for them. In that they stopped this time, and they, they healed a lame man. Now that didn't happen every day. That never happened, as a matter of fact, not with these guys. But they stopped. Again, I, I just find it fascinating that they were already going to go meet with God in prayer. But God says, no, I don't need you to go to prayer right now. I need you to, to reach your hand out right now and help somebody. And that's what they ended up doing. And it says that this man, they lifted him up. And he began to jump and to leap and to praise God. And all of a sudden, he is hanging all over these guys. And who wouldn't, man? These guys, he is excited for what's happening. And so what's going on is that now that this guy's up making a, a scene, if you will, all of a sudden, there's a crowd that begins to, to gather around outside the temple. Not inside the temple, but outside. More than likely, as it told us last time, it was in Solomon's porch, which was the outer part, because you had Solomon's porch, you had the place of the Gentiles, you had the place of the women and the children, and you had the place of the men, where probably that prayer meeting was going to be taking place. And so they're on the outskirts. 
And all of a sudden, all of this is, is happening. All of a sudden, as all these people are now gathered together, Peter preaches his second sermon. So it's just like another day in the life of a Christian. That's what you do. When you're open to what God has for you, man, sometimes you have your plans all decked out, ready to go, and He just changes them. And all of a sudden, man, you're in the middle of God using you. And so we're in Acts chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, the elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you, to, to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you've crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. For there is no salvation, for there is, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Father, thank you so much for allowing us the privilege to open up your word, to be able to read it aloud, Lord. I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters. pray, God, that you give them ears to hear. They'd give them eyes to see, Lord God, what, what unfolds in this portion, Lord. Give me understanding to, to share with clarity, Lord. We honor you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at the first four verses there, it says, and now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains, the, ca uh, the captain of the, the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and they were, being, they, they were greatly distressed, it says, as they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> now, I don't know exactly what the timeline was here, how, how much time has lapsed from about the 3 o'clock hour. I don't know if, if these guys had gotten there early enough, you know, to get there before 3 o'clock prayer. But again, it doesn't tell us how long it, it has been. How long did it take them to talk to the guy? How long did it take them to reach down and, re, you know, bring this guy up? How long did it take for the guy to stop leaping and praising God after he had been healed, you know? How long has it been? 
You know, all of a sudden, uh, the, the, the crowd is starting to gather and there's all these people, not just tens, not just hundreds, but thousands of people are now gathering outside the, in, the, in the, the, the Solomon's temple or Solomon's court. And all these people are coming and Peter begins to teach. Peter, Peter begins to preach. Now, I don't know how long it took him to preach his message. I know how long I preach. I usually say about 45 minutes. It's about 55 Depends. I could get long-winded. But be that as it may, I don't know what exactly the time was, but it does say that by the time these religious leaders come out, by the time all this is happening, it is now in the afternoon, in the evening, late afternoon. We were told in the last chapter when the man was healed, that they all came to Solomon's temple. And again, that's outside from the place that they would be having this prayer time. And all the people ran together. Something was happening and people were attracted to it. So this thing that is happening is drawing people. Again, most of those people are there because they're going to go do their religious duty. Most of the people that are there are going to go do what they've always done at 3 o'clock. They're going to go pray. But there's something happening over on this side, over here, wherever it's at. And, and again, I don't think that things were getting out of hand. I don't think it was a mob mentality. I don't think that it was just like, oh my gosh, there's chaos. But there was a big hullabaloo happening. Something was happening and they were attracted to that place. And I could almost guarantee you that emotions were running high. Because some people saw him reach out and lift this guy. And most people knew who that guy was as we've already learned. So, so I think a lot of people are just tripping right now going, what is happening right now? That guy has been there forever. I've known him forever. I've seen him get old. He's been there for, he's, he's 40 years old. Most of his adult life, he's probably been at that same spot. And so I can Im imagine that emotions are running high because they've seen somebody get healed. But I can almost guarantee you that the emotions were just as high because of what Peter was preaching. It was convicting them. It was hitting them hard. As I shared with you last week when we were talking about this, dude, he was hitting them hard. He was going right after them. There was no fear in Peter in what he was sharing. He was pretty bold. And it's quite possible that now the other apostles have all gotten there as well, and they are there ministering to those who have been converted because Peter challenged them to repent and to be, and to be converted. And those people are going, I want it. I, I'm, I'm ready for this. And so you can imagine that, that there's a lot of ministry going on in that area, and there's a lot of people. And I'm sure the news got back to, to the higher-ups over there. They're waiting to do their religious duties and lead the people in their religious duties. And so these religious leaders are probably understanding, like, where is everybody at? This place is usually packed out right now, and nobody's here. Why isn't everybody here? And so while Peter is still talking, it says, to the people... It tells us that the priest, the captain of the temple, who was the one that kept order in the temple. Kind of like the, the head usher, if you will. 
Like Ron, our head usher here, man. He has his walkie-talkie and stuff. He knows everything that's going on around this place, man. And he's on it, man. You don't mess with Ron. He has, he has a walkie-talkie. <laughs> and he keeps order, man. Just like this guy here, he kept ordering whatever was going on in the temple. And then it tells us that the Sadducees are there as well. Sounds pretty serious, man. It's, it's disturbed where these religious leaders were sitting probably, waiting for the people to come to them, and something's going on inside, and now they're having to go outside, and it says that they came upon them. And it says in verse 2, being greatly disturbed. The phrase being greatly disturbed means to toil through, i.e. passively, be worried, be grieved, to be troubled, displeased, offended, and pained. That's some serious stuff. In other words, they were very put out by what was happening, to say the least. They were being vexed and, and indignant through and through is the way the Amplified puts that. It's like, man, dude, you guys are taking this serious. And they are. They're not happy about what has just happened out there. If they've heard just a little of what's happened out there, somebody's interfering in what they normally do. And so they are greatly disturbed. They are vexed and indignant through and through. And I would have to say that in, in, in this group, the Sadducees that it tells us here, are probably more indignant and dis. Dis, uh, greatly dis, disturbed than the rest of the people. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But I'm sure the Pharisees are there as well because the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were two sects that were part of this Sanhedrin, this council, if you will, that we know them of. And, and this council was made up of these two sects, but they had the, the high priest and they had the temple uh, guard and all these people associated with it. And this, this Sanhedrin, this, this council, they were the highest ruling body. They were like the, the supreme court for the, the, the children of Israel when it had to do with the religious thing. Maybe not the civic stuff, but for the religious, for sure, they were the council. They were the ones that were in charge of everything. And it was the high priest who was head over that whole thing, depending on who the high priest was at the time. Now understand, this council, this, this Sanhedrin is the very same ones, I'm sure it's still made up of the same guys, that a couple of months earlier, a few months earlier, if that, they were the same ones that convicted Jesus of blasphemy. They were the ones that sent Jesus to Pilate to go put him to death. That's how much authority these guys had. That's how much they wielded the sword, you know, if you will. But the Sadducees were greatly disturbed or put out because Peter and John preached Jesus and the resurrection. Now, the Sadducees were sad you see. Some of you guys know it. You know where I'm going. But hey, there's some new people maybe that have never heard this corny joke. But the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. 
They didn't believe in spirits nor in angels, much less miracles. So they were the ones that were greatly disturbed that these two guys are, are preaching, are teaching, are talking about this resurrected Christ that they know they've put to death. And yet, these religious leaders who have dealt with Jesus are now having to deal with Jesus again, but not personally. They're having to deal with Jesus again through his followers, through his disciples, by proxy, if you will. You see, these guys were the ones that came up with the plot that when the guards who were guarding the tomb were, were, were you know, chased away when the tomb was opened, these guys were the ones that plotted to say to these guys, hey, let's just say that their disciples came and they stole the body away. That's our story. We're going to stick to it, every one of you guys. And they all knew, dude, these guys are the ones that made this plot and we got to stick to it, right? So these guys, they understand what they've, what they've put out there. And, and I'm sure that they're kind of thinking, wait a minute, weren't these guys running scared from us when, we, when all of this happened? But now, these disciples that were once scared of these guys are out there preaching the resurrection. And they're saying that they were the eyewitness because they've seen Jesus resurrected. And that's what they're preaching. And I'm sure the Sanhedrin and, and this council, they're just like up to here with that. And I'm sure in their mindset, they probably thought, well, if we just bring them in, let's go talk to them. Let's just go, the, go and scare the heck out of them. And they'll back down. If we threaten them because they know what we're capable of, they know the authority that we have, if we just scare them enough, these poor little fishermen will get on their poor little fishermen boats and head on out, you know? When they go back to Galilee, they'll stay there. We'll never have to deal with them, so we'll just deal with them right now. Again, these disciples, they knew who they were dealing with. When And again, it's not that they were trying to go over there and cause something to happen. They were just open. And God all of a sudden like heals a guy and uses them. What else could they do? And now they're getting in trouble. Now the Sanhedrin, these guys are wielding all this power. Now they're coming out. And they understood. The disciples were well aware of the power and the authority that this council wielded. But you see, there was this newfound boldness that I've been talking about lately as we've been going through the book of Acts. Ever since the Holy Spirit came upon these guys, all of a sudden, something, something's happened to these guys. And there's this newfound boldness that has come upon them. And this is kind of what happens to people when they've experienced something like this, that all of a sudden, they just know that they know that they know if you follow me. They know something is up, man, because all of a sudden they're sensing and they're understanding that Jesus is actually in them and that Jesus is actually working through them because they just made a guy, he, they just reached out, tell him in the name of Jesus, stand up and, and, and walk, and this guy actually did it. And they know that they had nothing to do with that except reaching out and saying it in the name of Jesus. And this guy's up. 
So they know that they know that something has happened. You see, not only did they know what Jesus had told them before he left, when he says, greater works will you do also. They're starting to see that. But they also knew the power that was associated because there was a lame man who was lame from birth, standing, leaping, praising God, hanging all over these guys. And they couldn't get away from it. Proof positive, man. We know that we know. Not just because we know who Jesus Here's the evidence. Standing right here. You see, this, 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 this is the, the overflowing evidence of what they believed. They didn't make it happen. It just happened because they, they, they happened to be there and be open. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were willing to put themselves out there enough to just reach a hand out, pull a guy up, and something happened. And they knew they didn't do anything. And so they're beginning to see the effects of what this faith looks like. It had all become so much more real to these guys as they used their faith that Jesus gave them. And they understood the power that came with using the name of Jesus because Jesus said, hey, you ask anything in my name. And they were beginning to capture that. It was as if when they were doing this, Jesus was standing right next to them in their presence doing this. See, the disciples were now beginning to understand what it meant to follow Jesus by faith. Not in person anymore. But they were beginning to understand what it meant to follow Jesus by faith. They were beginning to understand what it meant to preach in the name of Jesus and the power that came with that. And they were also beginning to understand what was associated with that combination of following and of preaching. And that was persecution and or opposition. What a combo. You start preaching and understanding the power of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to preach in the name of Jesus, then there will be opposition in your life. As subtle as it could be or as harsh as it could be. But, but here's the cool thing about this whole thing. Jesus had already prepared him for all of this. I love that. I love that before Jesus left, he prepared his boys for everything that could possibly come their way. And I'm sure that when Jesus was preparing them, they're probably thinking, it's like, that's never going to happen. Why would people come against us? You're the one that's doing it because they've seen people come against Jesus. But they weren't getting it personal, personally. But Jesus told them this back in Matthew chapter 5 when he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount and he's giving them these beatitudes, right? And the last beatitude there in, in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven for so they, pro they, 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 uh, they, prosec they prosecuted. 
that persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm sure when Jesus said that to them a couple years ago, they could never have imagined that people would revile them and persecute them. What had they done? Even afterwards, I'm sure that they were going, dude, this guy's made well. And how is it that these guys are now being accused of doing something so much so that they're, they're laying hands on them to take them into custody? Because that's what's happening. They're being taken into custody. And I love the fact that even though they are being arrested, the Word of God could not be arrested. It had already gone out. It had already gone and, and served its purpose because it told us that many of those who heard the word believed. And I love the Apostle Paul later on as he's talking to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. He says this to him, Consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I love that. Persecution was coming because people were preaching. Now, one of two things will happen when all of a sudden opposition comes into the life of a Christian when he starts standing up and understanding what it means to follow and to share Jesus. One of two things can happen when that opposition or that persecution comes. Either they turn away because it's way too hard. Because people are not inviting you to family functions no more. <laughs> or people are making fun of you because you read your Bible at lunchtime. Little Bible thumper. I don't know if people still say that. Then back in my day, they used to say that. Bible thumper. It's like, dang right, bro. But again, people, people all of a sudden, they feel like excluded because they're not being part of the cool people anymore. It's like they've ousted you. And for some people, man, they can't handle that. They can't handle the fact that they are not center of attention anymore with their peeps that, that, that loved them so much and now they're just like being shunned. And, and you might not think that that's persecution, but that's a form of persecution of shunning you, of, 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 of having opposition come your way to where you're going, what did I do to you? I just try to love you because I found something amazing in my life. And they're going, hey, it's good for you, preacher boy. Get out of my face. And so they end up walking away because they weren't rooted and grounded in the truth. And they end up withering. So that's one thing that can happen when all, all of a sudden opposition comes. But another thing that can happen when opposition comes into your life or persecution is that you become stronger and bolder. Because you understand that Jesus said it would be that way. Because you understand that the gospel is not cool. It doesn't run with the cool crowd. The gospel was never meant to be cool. Churches were never meant 
to be cool. That's a happening place. It was never meant that. And we should never think that the Bible is cool because it's not. It's serious. But see, for some people, that's not good enough. It has to be cool. It has to, be fit. It has to fit in with our society. It doesn't. It goes against it. And that's why opposition and persecution comes. But I'll tell you this, man. Whenever opposition or persecution came against the church, you know what happened? There was growth. There was growth. Oh, some people, I'm sure, dropped away. But for the most part, the church grew. When the world comes against the Word of God, it is because it preaches something that is contrary to what the world thinks. It teaches about truth. It teaches about righteousness. It teaches about love and salvation. All these things is who Jesus is. It teaches about Jesus. And the world can't handle that. And I'll tell you this. The world... Will always, tells you, will always tell you what it fears. The world fears the Word of God. It fears Jesus. You can talk about God, any God, all day long. Nobody will oppose you. You bring Jesus into the mix. You start telling them, hey, Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one. I, I mean, no one. You don't have to say it like that, but man, that sounds a little bit more. Oh. No one comes to the Father except through Him. You start laying down that that kind of truth, people are like, nah. They will oppose you all day long. And they will try to silence it. They will try to stop it and destroy it. But the Word of God cannot, nor will it ever be silenced, stopped, or destroyed. Do not fear, people. Man, we, we get all uptight because, oh my gosh, they're, they're taking the Bible out of this. They're not allowing God here. It's like, quit freaking out, man. It's always going to try to do that. But it cannot because the Word of God is unchained. It cannot be contained. It cannot be contained. And when the world comes against what, what we're doing, and if we're doing it in the right way, then we're on the right track if the world comes against us. This was only the beginning of persecution, what we're reading right now. And guess what? That persecution hasn't stopped. You know how much persecution has happened throughout the 2,000 years of the church? A lot. It is worse today than it was when it first started. And guess what? It continues to thrive. And you're going, no, Pastor, I just read an article, or I just watched this thing, that, man, the church is dying. It's like, nothing can, can hinder the church. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church. That's what the Word says. So again, if the world is coming against the Word of God, you know that the Word of God is effective. And the world tells you what it fears. <laughs> it doesn't put down other religions, does it? It embraces them. But you talk about Jesus. It's like, man, we can't have that, man. That's offensive. That's so offensive. Man, we've got to shut it down. And so the persecution is starting and it has never stopped, nor will it stop people. In verse 5, it says here, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, their elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, 
and Alexander and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? you got to love the, the writer of, of, of Acts here, Luke. The detail that he gives us, man, uh, of everything that is going on here, who's involved. Who's part of this whole Sanhedrin? That it wasn't just these two religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who else is in there? These, these groups, uh, the rulers, which were the chief priests of the temple, and they oversaw the temple and everything that went on in there. The elders, these were the heads of the tribes and the families of Israel. And you had the scribes, and the scribes were, were like the lawyer type, you know? They were the experts of the law and the oral tradition. And it tells us that Annas and Caiaphas was off also there. John and Alexander, I don't know who they were, but they were part of the family of the high priest there. But Annas and Caiaphas, those guys were the same ones that were involved in accusing Jesus and coming against him. And when they set them in their midst, and, and you can almost picture what's going on right now, man. I'm sure when they brought them in the next day, these guys are already sitting behind their tables ominous, intimidating. Peter and John, man, they know who these guys are. They know what they've done. These guys were in charge of putting Jesus to death, so they knew all of this. And now they're standing before these very powerful and influential leaders, and these guys are just poor little fishermen. Jeez, cut them a break. But I love the fact that Jesus prepared them again. He told them, hey guys, this is what's going to happen. And again, they're probably thinking, when is that going to happen, Jesus? In Luke 12, 11 and 12, it says, Jesus speaking to them. Now when they bring you to the synagogue and to magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. Verse 12 for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. <laughs> Aren't you glad that these guys are full of the Holy Spirit right now? See, being filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're put in that situation, the Holy Spirit just kind of takes over and starts giving you the right words to say. Why? Because you've already taken those in. So they're already in there. And you're already ready to go. It's like they weren't like in prison that night going, oh man, you think we're going to stand before those guys? And maybe Peter or the other guy is going, yeah, I don't care. It's like, but we're going to stand before the guy. Dude, don't you remember what Jesus told us? Let's not even worry, man. Let's not write up our little defense thing here. Let's just go see what happens. I could guarantee you these guys had no fear as they're standing in front of these guys that could put them to death or keep them in prison. I could guarantee you that. And so these guys, they asked the question of Peter and John, by what power? Or by what name have you done this? In other words, as the Amplified puts it, by what sort of power or what kind of authority did such people as, uh, as, as you do this healing? And understand, that was a big put down because these guys know that these guys aren't educated guys. They didn't go to any kind of cemetery. cemetery seminar, seminary. That was kind of a faux pas. They understood, and they're, they're insulting these guys. But you can look at this question 
by what power, by what name. You can look at it in two different ways because they could be asking, what kind of magic trick did you do right now? What kind of spirit did you call on or kind of sorcery did you, what, what, what was that? What did you conjure up here? Which was unlawful to do and punishable by death. And I just kind of trip out. It's like the Sadducees didn't even believe in any of that. Or it could be that they're asking, by what authority or who gave you the authority to teach in public? Because that only comes from us, the Sadducees. We give the permissions to speak openly. And you didn't get permission from us. We didn't give you that kind of authority. You see, the council, they had heard about Jesus and what he had done. Again, they they hated him so much that they couldn't see straight. They've seen the effects of what Jesus has done in their midst throughout the last few years. And all of them, all of them know that they were the ones that put him to death. There was no denying that. I don't care what kind of story they, they, they threw out there. They knew that they had caused the death of Jesus. And I'm sure that they have caught wind that there was guys out there who were healing somebody in the name of Jesus. And so all of this is coming back to them. And so they're asking them this question, by what power and what authority do you do this? You see, it was the same Sanhedrin, the same guys that a couple of years earlier had had hit up Jesus in in Matthew 21 or, or a year earlier. That same council asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And I love that portion of scripture because they're, they're asking him, How do, who gave you this authority? And Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question and then I'll answer that one. And he talks to him about John the Baptist. Was he from heaven or from earth? You tell me. And they're going, oh, geez, man, we can't say that. We can't say that. We don't know. Then I can't tell you either. <laughs> I love that. I love that about Jesus. It's like... Probably didn't do it like that, but. (laughs) You see, these guys, the Sanhedrin here, they couldn't understand this this with Jesus when he was on the scene. And certainly they could not understand it with now his disciples on the scene preaching in the name of Jesus. Because normally when somebody came into prominence, into fame as this Messiah figure, because there was many who came through, that once they got rid of that guy, his disciples usually just dwindle away. They just went back into their little hole, their little cave. Never heard of, heard of them again. But this is not happening here, man. Not with these guys. Jesus had told his, his disciples that if they waited for the promise of the Father, if they were willing to receive the power of the Holy Spirit that would come upon them, then this was only the beginning. It wasn't the end. They weren't going to dwindle. We're here today because of those guys. Because they weren't willing to surrender. They knew that they knew that they knew what they knew. The disciples are now actively understanding by what power and by what name all of this was done. Not just the power to reach out and touch someone in the name of Jesus. But they're understanding this opposition or this persecution that is associated with it. They're living it now. That's just the beginning. And they're not backing down. It's almost as if they're going, bring on that persecution. We're ready for this. Jesus told us it was going to happen. That's why we, should, we shouldn't freak out. 
He told us that opposition would come. And so in verse 8, he begins to tell them, because they're asking this question, and when Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by, which, by what means he is made well, he has been made well. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. Here's another scripture that Jesus had given these guys. In the, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 21, 14 and 15. He, he, Jesus tells these guys, settle, therefore settle it in your heart not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Man, these guys are on a roll, man. You want to know what name and power? Is, is that what you want to know right now? I'm ready to tell you. Peter is just like jumping out of his skin right now, man. He is so ready. And guys, understand, this guy knows what these guys can do to him. Peter knows that. One of the things that we will continue to see through the book of Acts as we go through it is boldness. Boldness when the Holy Spirit comes upon those whom receive the Holy Spirit. I remember as a young Christian so long ago, I was so excited about reading what I'm reading because I had never read the Bible before. And I'm not a good reader, as you guys well know. But I was worse back then. <laughs> but I'm reading, and I'm capturing everything that's, that's coming my way. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I had so much. And I remember going to the guys, one of them of which was the one that brought me to the Lord, going and going, man, I just want to tell everybody about it. But I'm scared. you know. And they're going, I know what you need. You need the feeling of the Holy Spirit, man. It's like, bring it on, man. I'm ready. And so they take me to stuff like this in the book of Acts. Here, this is what you should be reading. And every time, you know, again, circle this. Do this. Because every time, man, that there's a feeling, man, there's boldness. And I was ready for it. I'm going, man, I'm taking in a lot. And I want to go tell everybody. My family already knew about it. And man, the, the opposition that was already coming from my family, because I come from a good Catholic family, right? And I'm leaving the church. And I'm going to Bible study like every night. And my dad's going, you're going to go crazy. That's what you're going to do. And I remember one night as me and my dad got into it, and I, I didn't want to get into it, but it's like, dang, man, it's good. Um, but I remember going outside, and there was a tree right outside. And I remember just standing under that tree crying. and just going, Lord, he could take my new Bible and rip it all up, man. He could tell me, hey, stop going to those churches because you're living on my roof. And I would have to obey that. But I remember thinking, but he can't take away what's already in my heart. He can't do that. You see, the Word of God had already gone out, and it's unchained. And it can't be contained. And if it's already out there, man, that's it. It's going to do its work. And, and, and that's where my heart was at at that time. Because I wanted boldness. And because of the boldness that came and because of the opposition that also came, it made me stronger throughout my life. You see, Peter knew the power 
that was in him. He knew whose name had done this work. He knew he had nothing to do with it except put himself out there to, to speak and to put his arm out and bring somebody up. That's all he could do. It was that resurrection power that was living inside of him. And it was the name of the resurrected Lord. And there was nothing to fear. Peter wasn't cowering. There was nothing that was holding this guy back. What could these guys do to him anymore? You see, he knew what these guys had done to Jesus. So what actually can they do to him that they hadn't already done to Jesus? And he resurrected. He, he had power over sin and death. Peter's not backing down here because there's nothing that these guys could do to him that he hasn't seen them do to Jesus. And Jesus is alive and well. He knows that because he's working inside of him. So there's nothing that this guy is fearing right now. I love that about Peter because he's going, bring it on. I don't care. Jesus is alive and well, and he's made this man hold who was standing right before you. Kill me if you want. I'm ready. You see, Peter had already seen glory. You guys remember the, 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 the mountain of transfiguration? Dude, this guy had already seen Moses and Elijah. I don't care. I don't care. Do what you want to me. I already know that these guys still live after death. I've already seen Jesus glorified, man. There's a power. And when you and I experience that resurrection power, what can man do to you? Unless you let him. And then what happens, man? You get paralyzed. That's what the world does. And if you let it, it will, it, it will hinder you. But the world will do what the world will do. The world got rid of Jesus and Jesus is alive. And he has power. And he's given us that power and that authority, right? What can man do to us? You see, we fear death. We shouldn't fear death because Jesus already conquered it. And so if we don't fear death, then what can the world really do to us? What can man really do to us? What can Satan really do to you that would really change or, or, or have it be a game changer anymore? Nothing. We see that example right here. He knows that that group of men that are standing right there killed, their, killed his Jesus. But he's preaching Jesus and, and the resurrection and the power. And so the, he's, he's, not, he's not afraid of them because he's filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit. They wanted to know by what power? Peter was more than willing more than eager to tell them where this power was coming from. He says, am I, am I getting accused here for a good deed or a bad deed? For a good deed? Check. Jesus told me. When we as Christians suffer, please, 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 let it be for your good works. For the, for the good works that we do in the name of Jesus when we're representing them, respectfully. Listen to what Peter says in his first letter because he seemed to know something about this. And he says in 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. 
Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in these matters. I love that. I love what Peter says. Hey, don't suffer for doing something dumb. And, and, and I know people would say, well, I'd never murder. <laughs> I'd never steal, and not, not, nothing big, yeah. right? <laughs> I'd never be an evildoer. And I love the fact that he just goes, hey, don't be a gossip and a busybody either. Now, I could get myself in trouble and point to certain genders, but I won't. It's like, don't, don't, don't get in other people's business. You have no business but your own. Don't be an evildoer. Somebody say, man, they're talking smack, man. All they do is talk about that. It's like, don't be like them. He told you, don't be like that. This lame man had been healed, that had been healed was proof of the risen, of the risen Christ, whom they had put to death. But Jesus was very much alive and he was very active in the lives of his disciples through his spirit that lived inside of them. It was by the power and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stood before them, not just physically whole, but spiritually whole as well. As it says in verse 12, let me read these last two verses as we finish up. He says, the, this is the stone which, the, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So after reminding them what they had done, <laughs> and again, he had no fear of reminding these powerful, influential religious leaders. He told them, it is by the power and the name of Jesus. And he ends up quoting to them in verse 11, Psalm 118.22, that they all knew that it was messianic in nature. That the chief cornerstone would be the Messiah. And he says, you guys, as the builders, have killed him. You guys have failed in other words, these religious leaders were the ones that God put to be builders. They were the ones that were to oversee the people and his house. These religious leaders were the ones that would represent God to the people and the people to God. And they failed miserably in all of that. And so Peter here is now speaking their language. And I'm sure it is cutting them to the core, man. They hate that. That he is throwing scripture right back at them because they knew exactly what this scripture meant. And in essence, he is telling them that they rejected the Messiah that that scripture was talking about. The Christ, the sent one. He was the most important piece of the puzzle and you took that piece and you tossed it. That's what you did. This lame man not just stood before them physically whole, but most importantly spiritually whole and it was all because of the name of jesus and the power that comes with that there was salvation that came into this man's life peter and the rest of the disciples were now beginning to understand what it meant to be a christian 
They understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They had spent the night in jail for a good deed. And this is just the beginning. Because they, they, they made a man well in the, in the power in the name of Jesus. And now they're standing before this whole council. And this council, understand, they had every right. They had every right that if somebody came on the scene, they had every right to go after them, to find out who they are. They had every right to question them. They had every right to threaten them. They had every right to imprison them and even put them to death if they deemed them a threat. But the power of God and the name of Jesus and the word of God for that matter had already been affecting people. It tells us that at this point, the church had now grown to about 5,000 people. And they couldn't stop. They couldn't silence. They couldn't destroy, destroy those who now believed. And I think that if they could have tried to rally all of them up, if they got a group this size and killed them, then the other thousands that were out there were already preaching the word and they couldn't catch them fast enough because the word of God was spreading like a wildfire because persecution was on the way. Bring on that persecution. And you're saying, please, pastor, don't pray that. But it causes growth, people. It really causes growth, man. We, we don't get excited about persecution, but please understand, you stand for righteousness, for truth, for salvation. You stand for Jesus. Opposition will come your way, amen? amen. Let's finish off on that note. <laughs> Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, O oh Lord, that God, by your spirit and by your power, Lord, you have done these things in our lives, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are in this room right now, Lord. Father, I don't know all of them or where they're at personally with you. But Father, I pray that if there's some who are in this room who have maybe been pharisaical, been like the Sadducees, been very religious and yet have missed out, or maybe they were the ones that were oppressing and persecuting those who follow after you, and yet today you've brought them here, Lord. And you've challenged them. And I pray that this morning, Lord, you would capture them. And you would make them whole. Not just physically, but spiritually, Lord. And even as we're praying right now, I don't know all of you or where you're at. You could be sitting here for years and not know Jesus personally. And I want to give you that opportunity. And if there's anybody here that's going, man, I truly need Jesus in my life. I need that boldness, man. That you would just slip your hand up right where you're at. And I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here who would, who would take that? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord, for that hand. Father, I pray, God, that you would truly capture and rest it, Lord. That, God, you would truly, Lord, allow your word to move powerfully with boldness, with power, the same kind of power that we're reading about that they would never be the same, Lord. I pray for us as our brothers and sisters, Lord, that, God, we would never be ashamed of the gospel, that you would put us in situations, Lord God, that you would give us that boldness, Lord, that we would have a fresh filling of your spirit day in and day out. 
as we ask for it, that you, God, you would fill us to overflowing. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness, O oh Lord. Go with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.